0: Welcome,
1: back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns of your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. I'm Brendan Hansen,
0: And I'm Tony Faber.
1: And this is the podcast about, about decisions, decisions in games. games. Today, we are joined by a very special guest. It's Tony Faber, co-host of the stellar Two Wood for a Wheat podcast and author of the excellent The Secrets of Great Games column on Board Game Geek, And this is a what we talk about episode where you'll get to hear what we talk about when we talk about irrational actors in board games. It's gonna be an excellent conversation. Uh, I'm gonna to give Tony the opportunity to introduce himself and, and talk about his podcast and column in just one second. But let's get this housekeeping out of the way and let you know that if you are a pre-planner who likes to play games along with the show, you should be aware that next week we will be covering the decisions in Raiders of the North Sea. So that out of the way, let me turn it over to Tony to
0: introduce himself and just say thank you so much for coming on this show. Well, thanks really for having me. And you did a Perfect introduction. So I don't have much more to say. Our our, our podcast is shares an affinity for really inquiring into the de- decisions one makes in a board game. Uh, the only difference might be we just have more random crap in our podcast than you do, and you're more on topic. Uh, but uh, other than that, it's just it's going to be really fun to be here. As you
2: say, I quite enjoy the "quote unquote" random crap in the podcast that's true in. I was just listening to an episode though where you talked about the tick problem out there in Pennsylvania, and I was very disappointed to hear that you had to pull seventeen ticks off your dog. That's that's like part and parcel with some of the joy of tube wood for a week, though. I always, I never know what I'm signing up for at the start of the show, outside of good discussion on games.
0: Well, yeah, the the, the ticks are, are 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 quite bad out there. Uh, don't live in <laughs> northeastern Pennsylvania if you can't uh, stand the ticks. <laughs> yeah, and I'll plug the show as
1: well, um, having listened to quite a few episodes myself, and I think it's a really great complimentary show to what we do here, because uh, I think you guys do a little bit more, like you're mentioning, of sort of the buddy-buddy aspect of kind of welcoming people into the gaming group, uh, which I, is something I really value in in podcasts, and then also y'all cover a lot more of like the hotness, covering new games, uh, which we're a little bit more on the older tried and true side of things. So I think in in that way too, uh, it's kind of complimentary where I I think if you enjoy what we're doing here, I highly encourage you to go over and check out uh, Two Wood for Wheat. But what do you guys say we get into our topic here? And I like you guys for actually being on topic. So All right. Well, in keeping with that, this week we're going to be talking about irrational actors in board games. And this is kind of our more freeform style of what we talk about. But we should say this idea for the show came straight out of one of Tony's blog posts uh, where he talked through the nine types of irrational actors that you're likely to uh, experience in the game's you play so credit where it's due there um but before we get into who those actors are and and how they might affect the game space um that we're playing in i think we should sort of talk through some underlying assumptions of what an irrational actor is and how that could impact the decision space
0: yeah um So can I say how I created the topic and and what I meant by the term irrational actor when I first wrote that blog post? And then you can say whether, you know, let me know whether that's kind of what you have in mind. Awesome. So I I wrote the blog post because there had been a lot of videos and blogs about, you know, the nine types of annoying gamer sort of thing where people sort of break the social contract by doing goofy stuff like getting their Cheetos on your cards and stuff like that. (laughs) Right. And all those sort of Things that you would read about would be people, you know, acting jerkily and breaking the social contract, right? And my thought was, well, one of the unspoken social contracts is you're trying to win, playing to win the game, right? And we don't talk about that one as much because we don't want to over encourage over competitive play, which can be breaking the social contract in its own way if you're if you're too competitive or uh, playing shadily, right? But it but it is a, a different sort of social contract, so. I wrote the nine types of people who break the social contract called playing to win. So when I said irrational actor, I meant irrational in the sense that there's a sort of assumption that the rational thing to do is to try to win the game. It's not a value judgment on people who, for one reason or another, their actions aren't intended to win the game. It's just saying that's literally not rational in the sense of the, the stated goal. And there may be good reasons, or you know, we can be more or less sympathetic to different types of people playing not to win the game, but it is an interesting thing to look at. And I don't think we have to say we're, oh, we're super competitive or embracing ultra competitiveness to look at that aspect um, of the social contract.
2: I think that that's exactly what we were thinking as well, Tony. And when I read sort of your post, that's completely what I gleaned from it. I think this underlying assumption that many of us sit down to the table to play games with is that we care about the outcome. We care about trying to win, even if winning might not be the only objective of why we sit down at the table. And I think it's really nice to have this opportunity to reflect because there's this sort of unspoken underlying assumption of our show too on decision space that our decisions matter because we're trying to win. Right, Every conversation right. we ever have, this is a fundamental assumption that we've never really discussed or brought up. It's just something we all sort of understand as people who care about games and understand when we sit down to play ortho games, right? games where there's a winner and a loser, that you care about who the winner might be and you would like to be the winner or one of the winners if it's a shared victory type game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you care too much, that might be a problem. But if you don't care at all, that's a different sort of issue. Absolutely
1: right, and just think about the intent of a game designer when they sit down to make a game. It's it's hard to even think of an example of a game that could possibly hold up to a play group in which some of the players are trying to win and some of the players aren't. If it's a competitive game, right? I think that's an assumption too on the game designer's part of things. Absolutely. So I think my question that we can kind of leap off with are are play mistakes inherently irrational? In the context of a game, right? If your objective is trying to win, and that's rational play, is you know making a mistake, doing something outside of the optimal play, or is that something we would consider irrational in the context of this larger conversation?
0: Personally, I would say yes and no. Um, yes, it technically is irrational, but in the purposes of this examination, I think we're kind of looking from a from an outlook perspective. So we're all going to make mistakes and play somewhat irrationally, right? Nobody plays perfectly in a game, but if you're, if where you're coming from is not attempting to play your best, right? For some reason you can't or don't want to attempt to win. That's a level level, a different sort of irrationality. That's you're, you're not even going to get in the the chance to play well because you're not even trying to, for one reason or another, or are incapable of for one reason or another. So I, th- I think that's a different level than the, the mistakes we all naturally make playing games. I totally agree. I think the attent-
2: intent and attempting are the key words there, too. It, even if you're trying your best, or even if you mean to be trying your best in something ne- sort of for whatever reason, you, you make an assumption about the decision space and that assumption's wrong. And in retrospect, you made an irrational decision. Uh, that doesn't make you necessarily an irrational actor in that play of the exactly. game. You were trying your best, and now in retrospect, maybe next time, if you did it again and tried to force a line that you knew was wrong, just because you were trying to prove a point, then maybe we'd be moving that direction of a rational actor, depending on how stubbornly you are subverting the decision space. But otherwise, you're just exploring and sort of applying what your current thoughts are.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you both, and I think the reason I wanted to start with that <laughs> is because I was a little bit scared of getting to a place in this conversation where all of a sudden we're starting to think like, oh, well, we must consider new players as irrational actors Mm. because they don't have this knowledge about the game. They're going to be more prone to make mistakes than an experienced player. Uh, And I think if you're thinking solely about the output of their actions, then we could come to that conclusion. But what I think I really care about when when I'm sitting down to play games with people is like the input. I think that is going to kind of get to a more fruitful conversation than just boiling everything down to like the output of was the play smart, optimal, whatever, you know, interchangeable term you want to use
0: or not. Yeah, I, I think there's something interesting to be had about the new player discussion. It's a different thing because the new player is still trying to win. Right, and but there you could say there is something preventing them from giving their full best effort called lack of knowledge. Again, this isn't a moral condemnation of somebody who's an irrational actor. I mean it's not their fault they're a new player, obviously, but I think new players are interesting because it is a common circumstance. It'll show up more than like a drunk player. You know that'll be a rare circumstance, right okay, I'm interested that you went there because that was going to be my next question too
1: <laughs> is like how can you pull apart a new player who's trying to win? And a drunk player who's trying to win, right? It seems to me like really those are
0: two like very similar things. One's just much more obnoxious socially, right? (laughs) Right. And there's a a lot of these categories have a social component, which they're breaking just being sort of a good person socially Mm. versus the social contract to, to, to do their best to win the game. And again, the new player isn't not trying to win a game, but there are circumstances, for instance, where you may not want to play a certain game with new players. Now, that may sound elitist, so let me say just a little bit about that, which is that there might be a game that has a high level of conflict and a high experience level where if an experienced player is playing that game really to win with new players, it's going to create an unfun situation for both the new players and the experienced players. Like when I teach Blood Rage, I won't play. I'll just teach it and let other people play for their first couple games. Because if I just, you know, go full bore against them, that's not going to be fun for anyone. And in fact, it, it's, it, it also depends on the kind of game. Like the high interaction game, it's particularly the case because then you will actually squash the decision space of the new players by by playing having the experienced players play to win in that situation whereas if it's more of a multiplayer solitaire game the new player can do their thing enjoy the play space and not it, it not being a big deal so i think if, if with a high level of interaction there are times when the, you you don't necessarily want to have those types mix if the experience is a big big thing or or, or else you may just you know you know, crush the experience of the new player or have it not be fun for them. Yeah.
1: I think chess is a great example for this always too, right? If you take like a grandmaster playing chess against a new player, as an example that a lot of people would be familiar with, right? That's not going to be a fun, enjoyable game of chess for anybody. And there won't be much gain there.
2: I think that it's really interesting that you juxtapose specifically to the irrational actor of a new player who lacks knowledge and a drunk player Um, I think specifically because the impact that they have on the decision space is probably quite similar in that they create opportunities to exploit bad decisions, which I think is what we're sort of both getting at um, or what everyone's kind of getting at. So from that perspective, it's kind of the same outcome, but the social contract is not violated by the, the new player and it is probably violated by the intoxicated player who's like sitting at the table and not maybe trying their best. Though I would also argue, a lot of people probably don't know this. I come from a background of playing a competitive fighting game, uh, a video game fighting game. Um, And there within the community that I played in everyone, there was this sort of idea that it's better to play against a stronger player who you understand than a mid-level player who doesn't know the game quite as well playing specific characters because the unpredictability of their actions makes it, a game that is so cerebral about being the decision space of understanding your opponent's actions so much scarier, so in some ways I, I it's kind of interesting how the the player the unpredictability of the new player can become unwieldy for people who are experts, given the type of game that's there if it's a game where understanding your opponent's
0: actions are really prioritized within the decision space absolutely it can create arbitrary outcomes, yeah, uh, which may sound a little bit like. Why did that person do this dumb thing? They screwed me all up, and I don't really mean it like that. I, yep. I I just mean, and 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 to be clear, if you're playing, crushing a new player in a conflict game, you're the one violating the social contract mm. as the experienced player. It's not the experienced, inexperienced player's fault. Obviously, it's yeah. your fault that you are doing that. Right. So it's it's it kind of it it's something that puts something in the way of rational play, but the, it's the experienced player who often has the responsibility to kind of sort that out, maybe by choosing a kind of game that everyone can enjoy together. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have two things to
1: say. Uh, first, we we're throwing around the term social contract, and I just think we should be clear that that's something that can change as somebody who frequently enjoys uh, an adult beverage or two or three at a gaming table with my friends where that's very much the norm, right? Right. I mean, nobody wants anybody who's falling down drunk, but like that can be well within the social uh, contract Mm. of any given gaming group. So I don't think anybody is saying that it's inherently wrong or to drink at a gaming table. You know, it's whatever people are okay with. That's totally fine. So that's something I wanted to say off the bat. But What I'm hoping we can do is sort of expand this conversation into some of these other types of rational actors uh, that you brought up in your blog post. Because I think really the first four that you listed here, to me, all are kind of falling in a very similar sort of category uh, along with the drunk in that, you know, they're affecting the output, but like perhaps like the intent is not irrational in of itself. so. The first four listed here are, and we can go into more depth on what each of these are, are the uninterested, the distracted, the drunk, and the ignorant.
0: Yeah, just to be uh, uh, pedantic about it, I should have said the disinterested. It's the the person who is literally something else. Mm. the the, The disinterested and the distracted are similar in that they're just not giving their full attention to the game for one reason or another. And I think in those two categories, you almost, if it's extreme, you want to stop the action and let them choose not to play, you know, because, and that's, again, goes beyond the decision-making space and into the social realm there so that nobody is miserable. But yeah, in all of those, it's like there's something that's preventing the person from just, it's not that they don't, wouldn't want to, in theory, give their full efforts, but there's something preventing them from playing well like the ignorant is pretty much, that that actually is the new player, you could say, that's ignorant of any of the strategies of the game, right? But it could be other things too, right? So yeah, all those are people who might, in certain circumstances, really want to win the game, but something's preventing them from bringing their full intellect to the decision space. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's so easy to
1: For all of us to kind of recall situations where you're you're sitting at a table and you know perhaps somebody whose spouse came with them to the game night for one reason or another is just not happy being there and it can really cause a drag on the whole experience or somebody's just constantly checking their cell phone uh, and feels like the game is not fun and interesting to them and they want to just so whenever it's their turn it's like fine I'll just do this right and all those things are certainly going to like impact. The game, but you know, like I don't know that I find those behaviors like irrational in in terms of like the input of like what is causing it because they're not. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, do you yeah, see they're why not I'm having? Actually,
0: they're. It's. I'm only calling it irrational against the standard of trying to win the game, but they have rational reasons for not attempting mm-hmm. to win the game or not being able to attempt to win the game. And in the specific example of the spouse, I want to be really clear. Again that is not the fault of the spouse that's the 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 problem of the person that brought them i don't want to be somebody complaining about somebody's spouse no if if you're bringing somebody who doesn't want to be there that's that's a you problem right i've definitely been guilty of this too at sort of large
2: family gatherings where i really want i really want to introduce a game to my family i think it's a game that everyone is going to be able to engage in and then it hits the table and then all of a sudden i've realized oh no i have my cousins way too deep in this, in this game, they're in over their heads. They're distracted and uninterested. I need to get us all out of this situation yeah. because it's not the fun, joyful moment
0: that I thought You've it was. You've got to be willing to uh, apologize and bail even when you don't yes. think it's your yeah. fault. You've just got to be like, you know what? I, I'm i sorry. I brought something that wasn't right for you people here and we should do something totally. Else. Yeah. yep. Where I think like kind of the meat of this
1: article and, and, and kind of this framework is for me is in these subsequent ones where I feel like there's something actually irrational and i apologize for keep using that word but about like the input like what why they are engaging with this game the way they are um so you know let's let's kind of talk through them uh, and, and start with the attention seeker what was kind of the your idea behind this one
0: tony so this is the one the one category where i actually tend to not like the people who fall into this category? <laughs> the other ones I really uh, I have compassion and understanding for, but this one tends to be the person who who wants to. Their joy in the game isn't necessarily from the attempt to compete or from the social experience, but in the bringing the spotlight on themselves. And and in many ways, the way they bring the spotlight on themselves is to affect the outcome of the game in such a way that it alters the winning state. And it doesn't necessarily, it's, it's hard to play well and make yourself win, but it's relatively easy sometimes to do something which just boosts one player and pushes another down. And this isn't really what I would call standard kingmaking issue. This is where somebody is just doing that so that they can say they had an impact you know what i mean it's not the king making out of spite or the king making out of miscalculation or the king making out of attempting you know it's really out of look at me and i i've played with this kind of player who's like look at me i i chose the winner and guess what it wasn't the winner it was going to be that was so cool right and i'm like really that was that was cool and it, i i wasn't even involved in the the person being chosen or not but it was just left a really sort of bad taste in everybody's mouth who is at the table. Um, so anything – and you'll see this, not just choosing the winner, but you'll see, oh, I'm making – putting all my pieces in a line. Look at this silly thing that I'm doing on the on the board. You know, mm. you know what I mean? Or anything that's designed to – maybe it's – the innocent version of this is trying to make people laugh with your moves, right? But in either way, you're trying to bring attention to yourself rather than competing in the game, and that – tends to rub people the wrong way
1: right yeah and like i think the distinction between this category and the others is like when when a person is falling into this kind of uh, mode of engaging with the game like the fundamental goal for them has shifted right where the other people maybe are disinterested or not playing well because of some reason in or outside of their control you know, maybe they're still trying to do the best they can. It's just not going to happen. But this person yeah. has fundamentally chosen a new goal outside the goal of winning the game, which is to impact the game or, you know, to collect all the sheep in Catan or, or whatever, right? To use your a game from yeah. your namesake. <laughs> um, and I think that's where I start to feel like, okay, things have are getting dicey for me for Really violating that
0: social contract, right? And it should be, of course. If this is like a like party game or something, this is not. We're talking strategy game here. I mean, that should be a underlying assumption. And I I think playing for standout moments is in a similar category. When you're playing to make something happen like that, that's kind of a milder version of that, right? And it may not be about drawing attention to yourself. It may be about just having something cool happen, right? But like, and that you'll see it in cooperative games where somebody plays for like this cool combo between the players to happen, right? Playing for combos is kind of in that. So it's it's kind of a mild subcategory that's not nearly as annoying, I would say, the playing for standout moments. Like, you know, and, and that could be just like, I'm playing for, to get all the monsters out in Blood Rage because I like playing with the monsters, you know, because I can do standout things with the monsters. And again, that's a very, that's a mild form of it that rarely feels disruptive. I mean, and you can even calculate if you know how people play, you can be like, oh, he's going to bring out the monsters, right? And 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 plan around that, right? The attention seeker is a little more unpredictable, even if they may do somewhat similar things. One game that came
2: up a fair amount in the discussion on the actual blog post, Tony, on the Secret of Great Games uh, was Cosmic Encounter, because I think Cosmic Encounter's design sort of invites people to slip into the role of playing for standout moments or maybe even the attention seeker if they have a specific alien power uh, that I think is centralized in its power. And I would say the conversations around that were whatever in that thread. But I think what matters for me that differentiates doing these things within a game that invites the behavior is do you think your actions will still lead you to win or are you subverting the game for your own your own goals, like Jake was saying, or because you think everyone at the table wants a cool standout moment when really they just wanted the opportunity to play the game. Uh, an example of this, if I can give a story of my maybe my most frustrating, irrational actor experience ever was I was in university and we were playing a game of the resistance and uh, one player at the table had sort of begrudgingly accepted to play. We thought that he had bought into the social contract and was going to do his best to win. And he had been playing the role of a, the resistance is a social deduction game where there are uh, resistance members and spies, and you're trying to have a series of successful missions. He had been dealt a resistance card, meaning he was a good guy. And at the end of the game revealed that he had been voting alongside the spies all along. because he had dubbed himself a secret member of the spies, even though he'd been dealt a resistance card. So that's a great example of an attention seeker, also being a stand-up moment player who just wasn't following the rules of the game, for all these reasons that irrational actors can be frustrating. I think we all left that table sort of being like, why did you do this? We wanted to play the game. You didn't have to play the game with us. And he was like, but look at the standout moment. It was so cool. And we were sort of like, no, Yako, it wasn't. (laughs) That's that's
0: classic attention seeker that you don't want to play that game with. Sure. Yep. And never again (laughs) did we. Yeah. Yeah. The next one
2: is going to ring true for a lot of people, I think, and is maybe these next two actually are sort of tied. Jake, I'm sorry, I'm I'm pulling it from you. That's the Grudge Holder and Mortal Enemies. Um, This is, I think, you see this historically, at least I did most commonly, maybe playing games growing up with family members where they will bring the, the impact of one game, a past game experience, to a new game blending sort of the the magic circles of games or bringing past information in in a way that isn't really useful um in the last game you blocked me in this way so in this game i'm going to intentionally seek you out even though you're not even winning and hamper both of our experiences and have create a runaway
0: leader situation. yeah the the the, the grudge holder um the mortal enemies tend to be carryover from previous games, and that's why they're mortal enemies. While the grudge holder might just sure. be somebody messed you up in the first turn, so you're trying to pay them back later in the game, right? Now, to be fair, some people really enjoy this kind of thing, and and, and if you do that, I, don't, I think that makes you you bad. I, I mean, Cole Worley talks in one of his talks about how. You know, a game doesn't necessarily have to be a contest of skill. You can bring in other emotions and it's interesting to see them play out. And he talks about spite as being an interesting emotion to see at the gaming table. Well, that's not really my thing. I mean, you some people enjoy those vendettas in board games. And some people also enjoy the carryover from game to game and how that plays out. Like, I might not want to really stab this person in the back this game because I know then they're going to be coming after me full bore in the Mm. next game. You know what I mean? And that actually the threat of bad behavior in future games has people acting more honorably in a negotiation game than they might otherwise, which is kind of interesting socially. I don't know if it's, you know, we're kind of getting into a weird area there, right? It's interesting. Yeah. Because a, a lot of discussion
1: around these two in particular is if you get to the end of the game, and somebody has stabbed you in the back and you're out of the running, you know, and all in, you know, you're in a King making situation. Like, is it rational to go, you know, punish the person who stepped on you to get there? And I think a lot of people would say that it is right. Like that means the person who didn't step on you had more effectively navigated that game and the decision space to rise to the top, like without stomping on people. Uh, in a way that should be considered you know and, and another person might say like no that's an irrational way to play you should always just be focusing on um the most points you could possibly score if you have like a 0. you know 0001% out for winning the game you should do that instead of you know getting the other person back uh and i'm
0: i'm not really sure where i come down on that i um yeah, it's, you get in some interesting situations there, right? Like I have said to somebody in a game with direct conflict, don't betray me or I will take you down with me. I've said that. And that's actually a rational thing to say, right? Because that person says, maybe I shouldn't betray them because then I will lose because I'll start a vendetta, right? So saying that is actually rational and now is following through with your threat rational, right? at that point that point it then becomes about future games exactly and, and i followed through with the threat once and people said that's just not rational and i said well now people will understand that i mean business when i say don't attack me or i'll take you down in 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 the next game we play but is that rational to take future games into consideration and does it just create unpleasant social situations i it, you know by putting that out there like don't screw me over i'll get
1: you back is sh- right it almost forces you down a path where you have to follow up with that or else you know invalidates future threats and future conflict games like assuming you're playing with the same people over and over again which can also create an interesting dynamic where somebody might you know if that's true then someone might consider like devoid of a threat like maybe i shouldn't take this backstabbing play that is the optimal play for me in this game because it's so mean and so cruel that somebody might be encouraged to you know punish me in future games down the road Uh, and I'm thinking specifically of an irrational actor moment I had when I was first kind of getting into board games this is in uh, undergrad and the only game I played with friends was Settlers of Catan and the first time anybody i i had like negotiated uh you know with my friend he drove a really hard bargain and and eventually you know i was able to trade him you know a couple of wood for a few bricks all the bricks that he had and it was like tough i had to give up a ton for it and then he slapped down the monopoly card and took all my (laughs) bricks back that he had just traded for me and i was like i hadn't you know, even that was the first time I had seen that play, which I assume is pretty standard. It's to a classic to strategy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But like, I hadn't seen it. I hadn't considered that. I hadn't considered the possibility of that happening to me. And I was like, I, I don't think I've ever been like more mad at anyone in a any board game ever. I was like, are you really, you're really doing that? Like, you're going to do that to me, your friend. Uh, and he was like, yeah, it's just a game. Chill out, man. But I was pissed. And I like, I think I did hold it against him. in, in at least, you know, several future games of Catan, like no i'm not trading with you man
2: like that stung too bad i think too it's important to note that the games that we're talking about too the like tony said the decision space has expanded to include the social aspects of these interactions yeah. right within these sort of trading games or or these Games where you're set up in conflict on the board, where your choice to attack player A or player B really matters, then it invites this social aspect and it becomes part of the social contract um, in a way that is important. And you can do these things without them being irrational in a way that maybe targeting someone in a peer strategy worker placement game starts to feel really bad because it's not supposed to be part of it. You're not supposed to just, you know, always outbid Jake and Keyflower because that's your your only desire or to, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah. But it, it and making that distinction, I think, is an important one. Though every Jake, the second you started that story, I think myself and I'm sure all of our listeners knew exactly what the outcome was yep. going to be. And it's hard not to smile because we've all been on the receiving end of a play like that. And it does feel terrible. But on the other hand, that's the game, you're right? Playing.
1: Yeah, and I, I wonder if, like, I think, again, it's so often is going to come back to, like, expectations. Like, I if, you know, playing Katan now, knowing that's a possibility, I would do things differently and I wouldn't be upset if somebody, like, you know, got me in that way. Also, I just have, like, so many more games and, you know, experience and practice, like, participating in social constructs under my belt that I wouldn't behave so immaturely uh, if that were to happen again.
2: I think it's possible too that there might be a magic circle of uh, of Catan players where at the table that is, they have written into the rule uh, with the unspoken discussion, just that you don't do that, right? You don't make a trade and then play the Monopoly card right away. Maybe you wait a turn or two. that That's too far. I think in that instance, a person who broke the social contract of that table, broke that unspoken rule would be being an irrational actor for that play of the game. Though, from our perspective, it might not be irrational within the decision space of the game itself. Which is, that's kind of getting into the weeds of sort of the social contracts and all this sort of thing but it it is important that all of these are contextualized all everything we're talking about within the specific social contracts at the table in which a game is being played and that's the cool thing about games that they're organic And,
0: and i think you you guys brought up a really interesting and relevant point about how the particular type of game that you play will call for or not call for these kind of messy social behaviors and people will choose to play those games or, not, or dip, play different kind of games based on whether they like that at their table or not. And I think that's yeah. that's valid. Like, if you're playing a conflict game, you know, and it's got, like, if you're playing Catan, then then that's kind of what you signed up for, right? And, and you brought up the example of Cosmic Encounter, right? Cosmic Encounter brings a bit of a social game into a strategy game, and it's almost like, you can't feel as bad in Cosmic Encounter when somebody does something to create a stand-up moment because it's so sort of chaotic and social at the same time. That almost that almost yeah. feels like part of the game. Whereas, yeah, when somebody's doing that in, I don't know, Castles of Burgundy, it feels really stupid and weird, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I've got 20 workers! Take that! <laughs> <laughs> right, so if it's if the mechanisms kind of allow it and pull for it, then I think you you kind of if you don't like spite, if you don't like vendettas, you shouldn't be playing a game that makes them super easy, you know uh, so i I think game choice is is important to know what kind of what people enjoy and choose a game that kind of fits with whether they want that stuff or not.
1: yeah, I think when yeah. we're thinking about kind of these things that linger beyond any given game. That perhaps that's something that is often unspoken in social circles. That we might, as gamers, especially when new people are coming into our tables, do a better job of kind of communicating about. And I do think that we do signal it, uh, even subconsciously. If if you're in an established game group, uh, or, or you know, you go to a meetup for the first time and you sit down at a table, and everybody's like, "Watch out for Hannah. She's." Gonna stab you in the back. (laughs) That's like, okay, like we're in a type of situation where these people are really familiar with each other, and like there is, you know, this kind of like meta game that is extending from game to game to game. Versus if you sit down with completely new players at a con, you know, and just join a random table, it really probably doesn't make sense to factor in any kind of thing beyond that one play. but yeah, I just think that's interesting too. And it also kind of gets to one thing that you constantly see brought up in this discussion that people really don't like, uh, which is when people factor in uh, the outside variable a- in a game where it's like, well, at the end of the day, uh, I have to go home with my partner. <laughs> and so I'm not going to attack them over somebody else. Um, and I think that's like something you see in thread after thread about this. Where people really get frustrated if that kind of a relationship, uh, or any kind of relationship, it's somebody's best friend. They always end
0: up helping each other. It's collusion, right? And collusion, you could say, collusion is actually rational in terms of if it help if two people are helping each other win. It's in in some ways it's rational, right? Because they increase their chances, but it's irrational. It's sort of like the prisoner's dilemma, right? It's 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 irrational if you're just trying to always maximize your chance to win. But we could collude, and while the act of helping you might be irrational, the fact that you're going to help me back at some point makes it sort of this rational thing. Mm. But that that is really unpleasant for everyone else, right? Who's because there's obviously an expectation that people are not colluding uh, to do this. But certain games, you know, and now again, you get back to games with alliances. You know what I mean? Like that call for formal alliances or call for sort of informal alliances and dudes on a map conflict games, right? Where do you draw that line between, okay, well, then that's really rational behavior. These two people always a lie, right? That's that's rational behavior in a sense to, to try to do their best to win the game, but it's really unpleasant and feels unfair to everyone else at the table.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot in common with that and cheating, right? Which is, again, if your goal is purely to win the game, I mean, there's a lot of famous cheating scandals, especially in like Magic the Gathering and in games that have like real prizes on the line of people making to them, right, a rational decision to try and win money and prestige and fame by cheating in some small or significant way.
2: Are you saying they're the same, Jake, cheating and this sort of behavior of having an external partner that you bring in because both are artificially enhancing your agency within the game in a way that is presumed to not be possible? Is that the comparison? It goes
1: back to what I was saying at the very beginning of what matters isn't the outcome. It matters is like the input when we talk about irrational Mm. actors in the game, because the outcome, right, is trying to win the game. (laughs) That's like, which is you know, at a fundamental level, like what rational actors would do. Um, Yeah, but the input of like, I want to win so much that I'm willing to violate the social construct to such a significant degree in terms of cheating. And, you know, on that same spectrum, but to a smaller degree of colluding. Uh, And you could think about like, what if somebody texted the other person, like what their hidden information is or or something like that. You can get into really a gray area without this, with this stuff. But I think it still
0: kind of falls along that same spectrum. Yeah. It's, and it's obviously the the playing rationally to win is just one part of the social contract and not cheating is a much bigger and more important part of it. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. So we've talked about a lot of these things and Do you think like
1: an irrational actor at your table is always a bad thing or
0: is there some upside to it? I'm curious of your thoughts here. I have some thoughts on this myself. I would say it's not always a bad thing. I mean, first of all, if you call new players irrational actors, you want to bring new players in. So that's a really good thing, right? And, uh, you know, and sometimes that though that may involve you sitting out so that new players can have a better time enjoying a game. And then other times it's kind of you've got to feel the social dynamic of what's happening, right? Like it may be something that is a lot of fun uh, to create a standout moment, particularly in a cooperative game, right, which isn't maybe the best thing to do to win, but actually does create more fun at the table. And if you get the sense that that kind of fun would really bring joy to the people at the table, but you've got to be really socially Uh, facile to be able to do that because if you choose wrong then you're just a jerk that ruins the game for everyone
2: i have thoughts on this too and tony you talked some in your article about the teacher as potentially being or acting irrationally yeah as a way of leveling the playing field and i think that's such a great example of a positive irrational actor potentially where someone who's teaching a game to other players like you talked about blood rage and sort of that being a game where you just you'll sit out and let other players play but i think there's a middle road sometimes where you might take a path in a game that you know is a less effective strategy to give yourself a handicap because everyone at the table is going to have more fun. And you can still be trying to win in that instance, but be trying to win in a different way than you might try to win when you're playing with other experts of the game that I think could be a positive, irrational quote unquote, a rational actor experience, right? You take a strategy that I
0: completely agree. I think that is the best way. If the game allows for it, that's the best way to handle uh, differing levels of, of of skill or proficiency in the game. Is to try. You know, when my when my father taught me chess when I was a kid, he would not let me win. Which letting letting somebody win kind of doesn't teach them to be any good at what you're doing. Right. Which is kind of that sort mm-hmm. of rubs me the wrong way. But on the other hand, crushing your kid at chess doesn't isn't good either. Right. So he, when he first taught me chess, he would just play me at queen odds. Right. He would take his queen mm-hmm. off the board. And then when I started beating him at queen odds, he started playing me at rook odds and like that. So we could both compete, but both have a fair chance, you know, and not feel like the fact that he was my dad and knew more meant he was going to crush me. Right. So, yeah. So, you try some, you know, you, if it's, you have asymmetric powers, you try the one that you know is like underpowered. Right. And try to do your best with that. Or, yeah, try that oddball strategy that, you know, shoot the moon that works once in a blue moon, but it's really hard to do. You know, that's, that's, that's a good way to do something as a teacher. And I, I found that, you know, some teachers purposely lose. I think that's going a little too far. And I don't think people mostly expect you to purposely completely tank you, tank, tank your play in the game. They don't want you just to crush them, particularly in a way that doesn't allow them to enjoy the play space, the decision space of the game. Um, but yeah, that a perfect example of positive, irrational acting. What do you all think about the person,
1: tell me if you're familiar with this person at your table who's wants to maximize the fun of the table to the greatest degree, and they might still be trying to win the game, Uh, and do well in the game. But this person also will say things like, what do you guys think? Should I go ahead and like reset the market now? And everybody's like, yeah. And they're like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Uh, You know, or or will like go out of their way to not step on people's toes, even though it'll be the optimal thing just because they want everyone to have the most fun. I kind of see that too as like a very benevolent sort of irrational actor. uh, That's generally for me, Great fun to play with
0: I, I think that's fine. I don't find that quite as compelling. I mean because'm I'm, I'm like if you don't want to reset the market, you don't have to reset the market. You, you know what I mean I don't need you to to play suboptimally for me to have a good time. That's kind of how I feel about it. But if somebody does reset the market, I think it's and it's obviously it's not causing much harm. I, I don't know that that makes me have more fun if somebody does that though.
2: Yeah, I think that it. That's really interesting, Drake. I feel like it. That goes back to what is the social contract of that specific table, right? And that's a potential. I think that's a person who's sort of saying, I don't necessarily f- fully understand the social contract of the table, but I want everyone to be happy, which that's good. The, I, I think everyone in playing a game well should try to play their best and then that produces the optimal amount of happiness, maybe. Um I, I don't know. I can see instances where that sort of behavior ends up throwing the game to a particular player, um, and it becomes about sort of manipulating this player's willingness to acquiesce to requests, Oh, don't go there. That was the spot I did all of my moves planning to go. You should go north. It's better for you anyway. Even though maybe that player thinks, oh, I should go this way. Um I think for me that maybe shifts the decision space a little bit too much into now you can sort of who's the best puppet master.
1: That, that reminds me of uh an, another friend from back in the day I'd play Catan with all the time. And he was an irrational actor in one specific way where he would say a trade and whoever was the first person to give him the cards, get the cards in his hand first, he would accept it. He would do his first and only offer, give him the cards first and you can get like a great deal off this guy.
0: That actually does sound really fun, uh, and partially because Kat- one of Catan's problems is it's too slow a game. And anything to speed up the trading, I'm completely in favor of. And it
1: was, it was just one of those funny things where it's like clearly that's like an irrational thing because you could say maybe, and many times people would be like, "I would have given you two sheep for that, like you fool." Uh, but that was just like that was his thing, and he stuck to it always. And, you know, if somebody new is at the table, they're like, what's going on here? Why is this like kind of a dexterity game all of a sudden?
2: Uh (laughs) That's sort of interesting in that in my mind, that's an example of him being a predictable player and how the predictable player can become an irrational actor in a game, right? If you can predict your opponent's actions so consistently that they become exploitable and it shifts the decision space that they could be irrational. And I think that kind of calls back to some of the issues with some of the first sort of four that we were talking about in terms of predictability, which for me is interesting just in terms of thinking about decision spaces overall and why it's fun to play games with other people, right? Like trying to figure out in their position what is thinking in terms of empathy and all these things where like ending up all these roads are leading to the same space, but in terms of acting rationally in an ortho game where everyone's trying to win, it's about getting inside their head without them just you know, inviting you right there and saying, "Do you want me to res- reset the market?" You're sort of sitting here saying, "I think Tim's going to reset the market, so I'm going to do this. He'll do that, and then on my next turn, I'll do this." Yeah,
0: uh, I think that that thing about the the I'm sorry, um, that thing where y- you people become predictable and play irrationally. Now we're kind of getting into the area we talked about about the very beginning about how sure uh, you know just playing poorly isn't exactly what we're talking about because they're still trying to play well, and I think. People mm. playing suboptimally optimally unintentionally and exploiting their mistakes is actually part of the fun of the game, is to figure sure. out how people are playing suboptimally optimally and how you can take advantage of that. They're being under-aggressive, move into those areas before they do kind of thing. And thinking, yeah. playing against your opponents in that way really is a lot of the fun of the game for me. So I don't. while that is not perfect rationality, I, I don't think it's subtracting from the fun at all when people make mistakes.
2: I suppose, too, it's really important to point out that it's about intent. Like like we were saying in the beginning of the conversation again here, too, right? If you're not intending to be predictable over and over again, then you're not being an irrational actor. It's just an example of how irrational actors and people intending to play well can have similar impacts on a game's decision space. Which I don't know that I have even more nuanced things to say about it, except for the fact that it's interesting that rational actors and people who are playing suboptimally can just unbalance a decision space in the same way and exploiting those behaviors is the fun of a lot of games where everyone's playing rationally like you said Tony um but it feels so bad because we don't like when we sit down to play games to experience social contracts to feel violated because part of the fun of playing games together is seeing a social contract to fulfillment which I don't know that we get to say that a lot in the show. So I think I'm just hammering home that point. We so much talk about, you know, rational decisions that I, I think it's fun to just take a moment and reflect on that specific point that that contract delivery, seeing it to fruition as a group is part of the joy of playing games.
1: I think, yeah. I think too, like everything you guys are saying, but overall, right. We want to be playing games with humans and humans are, you know, necessarily not going to be perfectly rational in any way i think by sort of this you know definition of output rationality right none of us are ever always making the best possible play and if we were that would be no fun at all right because i don't want to play against the chess supercomputer i want pl- to yeah fresh, i want to yeah. play against like real people who make real mistakes for any number of reasons and if they're making a mistake because you know it's their first time playing a game or they're making a mistake because they're hungry and sleep deprived. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, I, there's not like a lot of difference there in terms of the output of the play, but there could be a difference there in, in, in how much fun I have interacting with those people. And I mm. think that's sort of like where this whole conversation gets like really sticky uh, and kind of messy.
0: Yeah. It's, it's it's funny. You just made me think of like when I play against a computer AI and you're exploiting their mistakes. And I've noticed when I play Gaia Project, how I play is not always optimal because it's from playing tons against the Steam AI opponents. So I've, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's all geared to exploit those mistakes, which humans don't make. But the thing you talk about is humans are more interesting because I'll just keep exploiting that AI the same way game after game after game. Whereas humans adjust. Humans learn, you know, humans say, oh, you're, you're just beating me up the technology track every time I'm going to get up that technology track a little earlier and beat you two at this time. They're, they're less predictable. So it's the unpredictability, which kind of fits with irrationality, which makes humans fun to play with. And it's also that like,
1: if I'm playing against the computer that makes a mistake and I take advantage of it, it doesn't really make me feel good in the same way of playing against a person because I feel like this computer was like programmed to make this mistake. Like I've just, like, I'm just doing, you know, what the programming is basically telling me to do. But when I'm playing against a person and I take advantage of a similar mistake, I feel really good because it makes me feel smart. It makes me feel like I'm actually like beating a person. Uh, and I think that's like what really matters. And when we get into this conversation of irrationality, it's like, when people are doing things that take away that ability for me to feel like I'm actually doing Mm. smart things and like beating them, you know, because it's like, okay, you're, you know, falling down at the table, drunk, like, you know, then I don't feel like that (laughs) sense of accomplishment or it's like, okay, you're like, you've been checking your phone, the whole time around the table, now you've done something random, and I'm like, okay, well, I block you in because like you weren't even paying any attention to this. Like that doesn't feel good either. So I think it's like the, you know, it's like those moments of breaking the social
0: contract is like where I start to care much more than you know, yeah, to make mistakes. That's so brilliant, I think, what you're saying, because it's about intent, right? Because if you beat somebody who's trying their best to win, even if they make mistakes, you have this feeling of accomplishment. But if somebody's not trying to bet Play their best to win. Even if they played about the same level as somebody who was, you get no feeling of accomplishment from beating that person. You just don't. You feel like it. It was rigged in your favor.
1: And and from a different axis, but very similarly, it's the same with these. You know other elements of. Uh, you know the the people that are colluding. Uh, the people that are playing only for standout moments. Like you don't get satisfaction out of that because of a different reason. Because like they're not playing to win. They're playing for something else
2: or they're cheating and I think this, <laughs> right this is all a spectrum too right and it, it's so interesting what this says about a decision space because the not playing to win is is the person from my example earlier in the game of resistance right where they they didn't care about the game so at the end of the spectrum the reason why we were all so deflated is because that game doesn't matter anymore right like it didn't feel like a real experience of that game and that's a spectrum to the point where like if someone's even acting a little bit disinterested Not that that game doesn't count, but it can feel like it doesn't count in a way that playing against a new player who's trying to win can feel like it counts more, uh, which is interesting in terms of like socially, why do I feel that way? And in terms of the decision space itself, what that says about the choices that you're making at the table and why we give weight to the decisions we're making.
1: Well said. I feel like we talked about a lot of really great stuff, but I still feel like we're only scratching the surface of this conversation, which, you know, just ties into everything about games, right? It ties into, Mm. you know, decision space, the social contract, the people we play with, like the way we present at the table. Um, So I'm still wrapping my head around it, but do either of y'all have any sort of like final thoughts or key takeaways Uh, From you that you might you know be taking with you to your next gaming event.
0: Well, that last point you made really sticks with me. That it really comes down to how it makes you feel and the sense of personal accomplishment. And in the real negative types of irrational actors, it's not that necessarily they're making it too easy to win, although that may be the case. But they're robbing you of the sense of accomplishment of having done anything. You know what I mean? It's like it's like winning a boxing match against somebody with a hand tied behind their back. is just never going to be satisfying. Right. And, um, and giving your full effort is what actually gives people a sense of accomplishment when they beat you. So, you know, so that's, that's something which really, I wasn't thinking about when I wrote the post, but has really stuck with me out out of what you guys have said. Just reflecting, I guess, finally on the how it ties
2: back to decision space overall and what you're saying there, Tony, too, it makes me want to relish in even when I make the wrong decisions, because I know I'm in some way making the wrong decisions in games is contributing to the fun that other people are having as long as I'm doing my best to win, which is, you know, a lot of times mistakes end up feeling like feel bad moments, right? Not mistakes you make immediately, but just in retrospect, um, when you can just sort of take a step back. And I, I think it's a sort of fresher perspective and that if I'm trying my best uh,
0: and that it's enhancing the experience at the table, that's, that's great for everyone. One more thing that just occurred to me that is an opportunity to be a better human being when I'm playing games. I notice when I lose, when I make a big mistake at the end, I find it very frustrating and I verbalize my frustration with my frustration with my own mistake. But in yeah. doing that, I'm sort of robbing the sense of accomplishment somebody has who who took advantage of that mistake, right? And yeah. so really, you know, thinking about this has me really want to be a better loser in the sense of really acknowledging, congratulating the people uh, so that they get to fully experience that sense of accomplishment when they win.
2: Likewise, super well said, Tony. I think that that's such an important thing that I definitely have been guilty of so many times. And yeah, it's, that's really fun food for thought, especially in online games. I feel like, Uh, I I think it's so easy to sort of say, Oh, I blundered in that situation, but you don't have to, it's okay. Blunders happen. That's relish in how the game played out.
1: I think too, like where I keep coming back to with this conversation is this idea that, you know, we're never going to be, I'm never going to be perfectly rational at a table for any number of reasons. You know, it's going to be the baggage I'm coming into the day with. Like if I just had a really long day of work and, you know, I'm not as like mentally quick and sharp as I might be uh, on a different day or, you know, or because like oh, yeah I really meant to watch that full rules video and and read up on the strategies but I didn't do it so I'm just gonna have to like learn from the teach and do my best uh versus you know uh, something else and at the end of the day I think like being rational like and and trying you know trying to like make sure everything you're doing is like the best to possibly do to like win the game is shouldn't be the goal as much as like coming into the game with the intention of winning it and sticking to that is the goal in and of itself
2: you don't have to put more than you have just put everything you do have and then you're doing right by everyone else at the table and if your
1: intention starts shifting you know away from that goal of like trying to win for one way or another or you think other people at the table are like that probably is should be something to signal to you like hey we should uh, maybe you know at the end of this game or right now like we should like take a second and like talk as a group and just say like, Hey, like, what are our sort of like expectations when we sit down and play together? Like I noticed that, you know, nobody, none of you guys are, you know, using the monopoly card in this way that seems, you know, strategically smart to me. Like, should we have a conversation about what's expected? Uh, and I, I think, you know, the more we're communicating with each other and our gamers, like that's just going to lead to better experiences overall. So I think those are sort of my kind of takeaways here for Irrational Actors.
2: And I just want to take one last moment to say thank you so much again, Tony, for coming on the show. We really appreciate you spending the time uh, being spawning this topic overall. And I want to say thank you for all the awesome episodes of Two Wood for Wheat. I've been listening to them on my runs with my my baby, uh, put him in, pop him in the stroller, pop my earbuds in and listen to you guys go. And I, I feel like I've gotten a lot of interesting perspective on games. I wouldn't have engaged with otherwise Uh magical Inn being one example recently that it was just a really fun thing to think about and made me think about games a little bit differently. So thank well, you.
0: thanks for having me. This has been a really stimulating conversation and really had me think about a lot of things that I wasn't thinking about when I wrote that blog post. So that's, it's really been great. Thanks you guys.
1: All right, well, that wraps us up for another episode of Decision Space. Thank you all for listening to us and listening to this episode all the way to the end. Tony, do you want to let people know where they can find you on social media or Uh, wherever else?
0: Sure, you can find us wherever you listen to your podcast, Two Wood for a Wheat, uh, such as Apple or Spreaker or anywhere else. Uh, On uh, Twitter, we're Two Wood, the number four, a wheat. Send us messages. Uh, we always love to hear from people. And uh, and and thanks again for having me here.
1: It's always a pleasure. We'll have to do it again sometime. That's two great conversations we've had now. So let's keep it going.
0: Right back at you. We'll
1: have you on again sometime as well. I definitely want to do that. Awesome. You can find Decision Space on Twitter at decision spa. Brendan is at Burnside BH, and I'm at Jake Freed. That's J-A-K-E-F-R-Y-D. You can email us at decisionspa at gmail.com. And as always, we'd love to have you in our Discord so we can continue this fruitful conversation there um, because I think there, again, we're just only scratching the surface with it. So I'm looking forward to continuing to talk about Rational Actors and everything else we've touched on here. Uh, So until next time, I hope you have a great week and enjoy the rest of your game. And thank you to Hembree for our intro and outro music. Reach out.